Hi, this is The Unfairer Sex, and we are a group of professional women who are really quite tired of the misogyny, discrimination, and effects of the patriarchy that we are forced to navigate every day. But that shit isn't going to go away by itself, so let's talk about the problems, and even better, the solutions. Whether it is a stranger asking why you aren't married yet, gender bias in advertising, having your clothes policed, being expected to do all the admin at work, that persistent gender pay gap, or all the ways in which the pandemic has made women's lives harder, we will share our research, experiences, and perspectives on it all, so next time you're faced with that crap, you know exactly what to say. And yeah, there's definitely going to be some rage. But there's also going to be a hell of a lot of laughing, learning, catharsis, and camaraderie along the way. So grab a glass of wine and join us. We're super excited to have another listener send us their sorry, what did you say moment. And as always, we're incredibly grateful that people choose to do this. So without further ado, this is this week's sorry, what did you say? I did nothing wrong, was said by my manager after he got in trouble for lifting my skirt up in front of a room of 30 people. So I would like to start with, this blows my fucking mind. So I said that, I think episode one, and someone was like, someone said to me, Rihanna, your mouth. And I was like, but it blows my fucking mind. I would like this PR phrase. (laughs) No, I'm totally with you. And I think a particular point came to mind, and it was from a film. And the film is called Fatherhood. It stars um, Kevin Hart. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it. And it's... Uh, a father he loses his wife um, girlfriend during pregnancy um, or sorry during the birth so he's left to raise his daughter on his own and the whole thing is him navigating what that's like to be a single parent raising a daughter going to all the you know the mummy daycares that kind of experiences and there was a particular scene within the film where um, his daughter wants to wear dinosaur pants or some sort of like pants which aren't necessarily considered feminine and um kevin finds no reason why this should be an issue buys the pants and she's let off to go play in a playground as she should be she's five years old enjoying life oh so these are um, like the american pants these are trousers no 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 she's wearing like underwear so it's underwear but she's um the school that she goes to insists that she has to wear a skirt so she's not given the option to wear pants or trousers um during her school so she's out on the playground playing around and she's on the climbing bars i believe and as she's going across uh, a bunch of boys are standing on the playground looking up and they start to take the mickey out of her for her underwear choices and she goes home very upset and wanting to wear trousers um, at school to make sure that that doesn't happen again and i think what's really upsetting for um not only the person who sent in their sorry what did you say um moment but it's the fact that you know we expect that kind of behavior from five-year-olds and that's wrong you know because what I think what irritates me the most is that boys because boy wear trousers and they get the opportunity to do that from such a young age we never put them in that situation where they can be embarrassed quite the same way as a female can at that age because you know their underwear isn't on show whereas actually for a lot of girls they're encouraged to wear skirts at that age you know to get their legs crossed not play on playgrounds because heaven forbid their underwear might come and show and I think that it's just it's telling children from a young age that that's a wrong thing. And the fact that it's embarrassing for a five-year-old, can I only imagine what that would have been like for the person who sent that in to have to live through that at a much older age and also then have an adult man turn around and say, I did nothing wrong. It's just, as you said, blows my fucking mind that that is A, in their head acceptable and B, the fact that you'd ever want to put someone through that knowing that it's going to cause an embarrassment. So, so there's two, there's two slightly different things here. <clears throat> 
so uh ellie you've mentioned like little girls and they're like not showing your pants so i remember being in reception or year one and doing cartwheels and handstands and people so i had to wear a skirt um and and doing handstands and having to like worry about the boys seeing my knickers um but that is a very different thing of course like but it is inbred into us that we have to not show our knickers to the boys but also if you don't stop the boys from upskirting you when you're in kindergarten or oh you're five they're not absolutely some men are raised to respect women but I kind of feel if you don't nip that in the bud at a young age there is that it can manifest into something worse at a much older age because if you've never been told that's incorrect behavior even though you know it's incorrect behavior if you've never actually been externally told that you will just keep pushing that boundary until you're you're told off and and I just yeah absolutely upsets yeah upsets me that it takes some people decades to reach the point where they go oh yeah sorry that's incorrect behavior um, and the fact that he probably he probably saw that person's reaction and still went I did nothing wrong it's just like what is going through your head so Ellie you know the context a little bit so so what exactly happens that made this guy do that like all that caused that guy to do that and then what was this listener's response to it I know very little about um what was going through his mental state at the time um but I mean what was what was the version of events like they're obviously in a room they're in front of the team something happens he lifts up her skirt all I know is what the recording was um they didn't go into too much more details to me um, but by the sounds of things I think it was in front of a room full of paying guests um in a professional setting uh and he was her manager at the time so a person in control like in power in authority yeah in authority that's shocking I mean I'm not expecting that the scenario would have given us any cause to think that it was acceptable I just thought what on earth has led someone to do that because it's so ridiculous it's so outrageous and I can't believe that nothing happened from it no and I I think that again what would we do in that situation I think a lot of us would be stunned right you'd be stunned into what the fuck just happened probably trying to make yourself feel comfortable again so whether that's redressing yourself or you know getting yourself in a position of being able to then deal with the situation I think takes some time um have any of you guys been in a similar I have to say I haven't been in a similar situation but I do think in this kind of scenario I think you'd be so shocked that it had just happened to you that I think this is a great opportunity for someone else in the team to say I am really uncomfortable that you just did that and a lot of a lot of what like some of the scenarios would be really helped if someone else is there by someone else stepping up and saying what you just did to that other person is unacceptable, someone who's less phased by it because it hasn't just happened to them. So I would hope that if I was in the audience or someone else was in the audience and it had happened to me, for example, someone else would say what you just did wasn't okay. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a really important point. You know, a lot of people are raised with this thing of if it's not being done to me, then I'm not going to say anything about it. And actually, it's, it's, it is actually often easier to be a voice for someone else than to stand up for yourself. Because when you're standing up for yourself, particularly as a woman, you know, and again, sort of, you know, if you, if you followed all the stuff about law firms in the last few years, you know, it was probably not a sensible career decision until very recently. And even then, I don't know if it's still, you know, actually safe 
for you to report sexual harassment in law firms. You know, the, the sensible thing to do for your career would be to shut up about it. And the other thing is there's that code of silence that goes with it, you know. So if people, if other people who are seeing this sort of behaviour can actually, as you say, someone in the audience should have said to him, what the fuck? You know, that is not appropriate. That's disgusting. And you apologise to that woman right now, you piece of shit. That would be so impactful for her as well to know that someone had mm. seen it. You know, I remember it's not quite the same same thing, but I remember one day years ago, I uh, I had a job as a legal secretary and in the mornings, one of my jobs was to go to the to the uh, post office box and, and get the post, which was down the road. And one morning I was walking back with the post and then out of nowhere, this guy kicked me really hard. And, what? Yeah. And I sort of stumbled and then I, then I collected myself. I didn't fall over completely. And I just kept walking because it was fight or flight. And the reason I knew that it wasn't an accident was because I heard all these people around me gasp at it because they saw it. But no one, no one said anything to him. No one reprimanded him. You know, and so then I just went back to work sort of, you know, in a, yeah, a state of fight or flight. And um, and then I called my boyfriend at the time and he called the police and they, they found the guy. But, uh, but, you know, that's the thing. We also, I mean, that's another aspect, right, as women. And that's a whole other topic that we can get into, which is that we actually, in those moments, we've been socialized not to stand up for ourselves. So it takes a lot of strength to have the wherewithal in a moment like that to stand up for yourself yeah and sometimes if it's something physical like that you just don't have it in you to turn around that quickly like I remember when I was coming through Vauxhall station and it was really busy it was like proper London rush hour um, and it was it happened so quickly but I saw someone who was coming towards me get cut up by someone when they were walking and you could tell immediately that he was pissed off and then he kind of bumped into me and pretty much punched me in the abdomen it was so painful and I doubled over a little bit and let out a little yelp and I could see someone just in the corner of my eye who turned around because he had seen what had happened but I was kind of doubled over so I couldn't like follow him or say hey what the hell um and the person just ended up you know the person who'd seen it just kind of carried on like I was clearly in a lot of pain and for days afterwards I had this huge bruise but it just takes some people to stick up doesn't it Oh, I'm Maria. Sorry, you went through that. And I, yeah, that's horrible. And I think that sometimes the thing is that actually, this is sometimes not about the like, sorry, what did you say? From a personal point of view, it's someone else seeing the thing that's happening. Um, and it sounds like that's what should have happened in this situation. But Emma, I know that you've got one as well where, um, where you did stand up for somebody, where you saw a thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I started, so, so I, this was kind of a conscious thing of starting to stand up for myself and other people. So I remember one day, sorry, and, and it's a bit convoluted, but I remember one day I was in Liverpool street station and I saw this guy speaking really aggressively to his girlfriend. And at the time I went to walk past and then I stopped and I was probably about, I don't know, a meter, two meters from them. And I stared like in their direction but that was all I could bring myself to do at that point it was it was the extent of my courage to stop and look at this guy and then I remember him saying to the girlfriend you know oh great look now you've caused the scene she hadn't said a fucking word he was just a monster right but I but I didn't have the courage at that point to go up to him and say hey fuck off but then that was kind of the first I think sort of you know 
stepping out into that. And then, then you know, things like when you go for runs and men <laughs> invariably uh, wolf whistle and say shit to you. And I'd always, or I started to, if there were other people around and I felt that I was a safe distance, tell them to fuck off. Um, but then uh, there were, I think, two other occasions. There was there was one again on Liverpool Street Station where I saw a guy, um, you know, speaking really aggressively to a girl. And this was after that first one. So I had sort of built more courage. So I started marching over there. And just as I got to the couple, this guy came in from nowhere and he actually confronted the guy, which was fantastic. And then I took the the woman and, you know, said, hey, which way are you going? And I caught the train with her because we were going in the same direction, you know, said, hey, that's not acceptable behavior and you should get rid of that guy. And and that's the thing. And then the story that I know Rhiannon wants me to tell is one morning I was getting on the tube and there was this guy abusing a woman. So he's probably like in his 40s and he was just saying horrible things to her. And I can't remember exactly what he was saying at the start, but I think he was just calling her, you know, like a fucking dumb bitch and things like that. And he said it a couple of times and no one said anything. The woman was sitting down and there was a woman beside her patting her arm, right, to kind of comfort her. But not a single person on this tube carriage said anything to him. So then I said, that's enough now. And then he started arguing with me. And I said, you don't speak to her like that. And he's like, oh, fucking dumb bitch. She lost my kids. We've just been in court, you know, and when we've lost our kids. And I was like, yeah, and where's your role in that? Because, you know, it's 9 a.m. and you smell like a brewery. And the fact that, but, but, but even then, when I stood up to this guy, it, you know, there's that whole thing about the crowd effect, right? And as soon as a second person says something, then everyone finds their voice. But it takes that second person to back up the first person. And not a single fucking person on that tube carriage just went, you know, and man, that's when you do want a man to just go, you know what, she's she's right, shut up, pull your head in, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, yes, those are my stories. Oh, and then I've got one more, <laughs> which I just think is coming from the, you know, the having been kicked by the guy um, when I was, I don't know, like 18 or something and, and, and doing f- very much flight, right. And not saying anything. Um, one night I was on the tube going home and I like had my phone in my hand and I had my, my headphones plugged in to the phone, unfortunately pre AirPod days. And as we pulled into, um, Aldgate East, this guy grabbed my phone and tried to run off the train with it. And I heard the following words. Like there wasn't even a thought process. They, it didn't go through my brain. I heard these words come out of my mouth. I said, hey, fuck you, asshole. That's my phone. <laughs> and then it, it ricocheted because of the headphones and he didn't actually manage to get it. And then all these people were looking at me in shock. And I was like, hey, uh, sorry, he tried to steal my phone. But I was so proud of myself that that had just been my immediate response because that showed how far I had come from that thing that we're taught as women, which is don't say anything, you'll only make the situation worse, to know, fuck you, I'm not afraid of you, and how dare you? And then Rhiannon mm. actually made me call the transport police, which I thought was overkill at the time, but it turned out that he was targeting women. He ended up getting a, a prison sentence because they had done it to like 30 women or something. And he was targeting them and he would 
grab their phones just as the, and run off just as the doors were about to close. And then he would stand on the platform taunting them because, of course, their phones were unlocked because they'd been on their phones. So showing them that basically he had access to their whole lives. Piece of shit. Oh my god, what a massive piece of shit. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, a... that was a big long rant. No, but where, I've, where I've known but I picked I've... myself up, which was not my intention, but I just uh I mean we're we're your biggest fans anyway, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. It's like you're already on a pedal store anyway. But I think what it really drives home is this idea that um a lot of perpetrators, a lot of uh, people who are who are doing the crimes who are committing sexual assault in this instance, um doing theft. They rely on victims to remain silent. And I think we've spoken about this in a previous episode, but mm. it's the fact that 30 women before you had experienced that. And it took Rhiannon in this situation to be like, we should probably report this for you guys to even discover that 30 other people had been a victim. And the fact that, like, and I'm 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 not claiming um that it so if it'd been me, you would have said said the same thing. And I would have been like, no, nah, that seems a bit ridiculous. Like mm. We all, I think, would go, oh, I think it seems a bit overkill. Um, none of us want to report that kind of thing because it seems quite petty. Mm. But mm. it's when 30 people and probably more yeah. have had the same experience and it's it's not petty anymore. No, exactly. No, and, think- and that's it. Once you find out that there's that pattern, which is so often the thing with women, right? And that's a whole other thing about how, how the gaslighting, you know, and how mm. you just go, oh, that's no, that's nothing. I'm imagining it. And it's only when you get that weight of 20 other people saying, no, I've experienced the same thing where you go, oh, no, this is this is not me being crazy. So I think uh, for the listener who sent that in, like, we're so sorry it happened to you. Um, mm. The good news is now since 2019, Gina Martin managed to push that through law. So upskirting is now illegal. If you're ever in a situation where you're witnessing that and actually you're not in a position of danger, but you are in a position to say something, say something. And then if you see someone say something, back them up, you know, be that person who can really make a change in that situation. She should have gone to an employ- employment tribunal is what she should have done as well there, because that is that is unacceptable, which is the reality of this. Right. So often this is the thing. Women get get assaulted or they get, you know, they get made to feel very uncomfortable. And then if they do try to report it or anything, they get re um you know, injured all over again because they're mm. made to feel like they're making it up or they're being a problem. And and they are the ones who then end up, you know, suffering the the ramifications. So they're double doubly uh victimized, you Stone. know? Yeah. And I, I think the thing that um I just want to mention though is like when we say the victim should have done a thing like absolutely should have gone to a tribunal but that's hard yeah yeah um and so it's not always a this isn't us saying you had a responsibility to go and do that thing like they have a right to to get the compensation from or or not even compensation i'm not talking about monetary or anything but like they have a right to vindication exactly Yeah. yeah exactly that um to to be told that it wasn't okay yeah and you're absolutely right i mean the thing is really when we say victims should as you said you know that there's it's not my place to say what what a victim of that should or shouldn't do and the thing is the point is it shouldn't have happened in the fucking first place really Mm. amen and and going to court and going through all that and being perhaps cross-examined is is scary you know 
and people are worried about time they're worried about cost they're worried about you know what if the decision isn't in my favor and then essentially the decision is you know do people perceive that decision as that you've been lying you know how mm. how is that perceived it's it's not a great system and in a small industry you know you know that if you bring mm. in an employment tribunal case even if you win you're not going to get another job mm. uh, that, i think that's a heartbreak if you um i read know my name by chanel miller which is an incredible story but um if you ever want to understand what people have to go through to she was unfortunately she wasn't raped but she was as close to rape as you know you ever want to be and um she took that to court and the ordeal of taking that to court was enough for a lot of people to be scared away about even talking to a police officer to begin with so if you want to understand the first count um story i would recommend know my name um it's a really well-written book and i think one of the best things that in that book that um, really stood out for me was there was a moment where she was constantly getting wolf with walking down the road and she was obviously dealing with everything that had happened to her. And she just stood in the middle of the road, put her hands on the bonnet and just screamed at the driver and went absolutely nuts. And she just said, you know, what else could I do? I've walked away in silence. I've crossed the road. Mm-hmm. I've taken a different route home. I've walked an extra three miles. You know, I put my earphones in and she just got to a breaking point and just screamed. And the guy drove away. Um mm-hmm. And I think that, you know what, we're in a world, it's okay to scream. It's okay to make noise. It's okay to be pissed off, angry, and to bring attention to the problem. Yeah, and can I just, sorry, add there that that actually, you know, when, when your options are internalizing something and letting it eat you up or outward expressions of anger, anger is the healthier choice. You know, screaming <laughs> at someone, uh, or, you know, being, being indignant uh, is is actually much healthier for you as an individual than than internalizing it so make some noise (laughs) yeah and fuck if they get uncomfortable you know fuck them if they feel suddenly awkward or they should get uncomfortable because what they're doing is inappropriate and maybe it will make them not do it again it's the ultimate i'm sorry what did you say yelling (laughs) at them in the face (laughs) don't say sorry don't even bother with So we hope that helped. Um, I don't think we solved the issue, but um, yeah, gl- glad that you're on the other side of it now. And um, hopefully anyone listening that ever happens to you, just know that there are options available. Um, and us four always got an ear open, so uh, we're happy to help. Yeah, let us know and yeah. give us their name and we'll shame them publicly. <laughs> I was just about to say, um, come on, unfair sex and let's do some character assassination. <laughs> Once we've cleared it with the uh, slander lawyers. <laughs> no no let's apologize later right let's um let's jump into this week's theme uh we're gonna be looking at wedding traditions um i thought it's important to say from the go that whatever you choose to do for your own wedding it is a choice right for you and your partner to make and whatever you choices you reach are entirely your prerogative uh, there really is no right or wrong way to get married, right? Uh, this episode is not intended to dismiss or make a mockery of anyone's choices. Instead, we're going to look into some of the traditions which have survived the test of time, considering their origins, the changing context around those traditions. And as always, comments made to those on the podcast regarding what our choices should be around these traditions and why we feel a certain way about these traditions. Um, I am actually getting married in May, so everything we're about to talk about are things I've experienced recently. Um, and a lot of the research I've done was actually for my own wedding and trying to understand what my partner and I wanted for our day. So I just want to highlight. So, Amory, you're not married, right? Hell no. 
and I'm not married. Ellie, you're about to get married. M yep. is married. So we've got a vast range. The hell no makes me think you're never going to get married. Correct. Ooh. Okay. Okay. And, and and to clarify, I will I will have a civil partnership with someone, but I will not get married. Okay. Ali, can I ask, are you going to cover uh, the origin of engagement rings and all that sort of thing? I am. Excellent. Then I will be quiet yeah, okay. until you do that. And then so I've got a wait. story. <laughs> right. Uh, first up, surnames. Now, you guys are going to have to let me get through the first little bit and then you can jump in, okay? It's going to be tough, Ellie. It's going to be Deep tough. Breaths. I'm going to, I'm genuinely going to put myself on mute. Okay. There's a little <laughs> bit of history here. So we just go through the history first and see how it's developed, okay? Um, so. We're going way back here to the early medieval England, where most people were known only by one name, uh, the Christian name. As populations grew, surnames became an easier way to distinguish people and were often aligned to lineage. Uh, lineage? Yeah. Um, um, where they were from or occupation. Uh, together, we lived happily as single named folk, right? And that was up until the ninth century when a wife taking a husband's surname surfaced into English common law and the doctrine of co coverture. Uh, this cheeky little doctrine meant that despite centuries of freedom, women were now seen as having no independent legal entity apart from their spouse or father. Uh, these coverture, apologies if I'm getting that wrong, laws prevented women from entering into contracts, engaging in litigation, participating in business or exercising ownership over real estate or personal property. In fact, the wife was considered the husband's possession, and right up until the late 19th century, women in England ceded all property and parental rights to husbands on marriage. Whilst times have changed, we've been made to feel that taking our husband's name is the right thing to do, because generations before us have done exactly that. Girls have also been raised to glorify the transformation from Miss to Mrs., which to me now feels extremely dirty and insulting for a number of reasons, uh, the prominent one being, why is it that men's titles evolve from master to mister based on age, but women are considered not fully evolved until they're united with a man? You all look super eager to jump in. So uh, I'm going to hand the floor over to you guys. I think, I, I think we have to hand straight to M. I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, I'll try to be quick because there's so much to say the first one is who even calls a man master anymore you know when, when does a man genuinely go through even when he's a teenager you know if he gets a letter or something it's going to be addressed to mister so I, i'm actually going to take titles first um i go by ms i have always gone by ms uh when i first came to the uk when i was 19 i needed to get my national insurance number i went to an interview in watford and I, uh, you know, ticked the Ms. box on the form and then this officious woman said to me, a 19-year-old, she said, are you a divorcee? And I said, no. And she said, well, that's what Ms. means. And I said, well, where I come from, it means none of your damn business. And she would not allow me for my national insurance number to be a Ms. She insisted that I had to be a Miss. Um I so anyway yes as you know as I've said I go by Ms I think it's disgusting men aren't defined by their marital status in public life women shouldn't be either it's no one else's business you know whether I'm married divorced single don't believe in marriage whatever it, it has no bearing on on me in the world in my public life then the other thing just quickly on surnames my surname is a hybrid of my mother's maiden name and actually my father's mother's maiden name because my father's birth name was 
go to bed, spelt G-O-T-O-B-E-D. I mean, that's pretty, I mean, just from, <laughs> as far as names go, that's a pretty cool And his first actually. name is Richard. And my mother refused oh, to marry a Dr. Dick go to bed. So, I mean, he, <laughs> so, he, so he actually changed his name by deed poll to his mother's maiden name. And then he and my mother both took my mother's maiden name and his mother's maiden name and, and hyphenated that as their name. So that's the name that I grew up with. Um, and I know you're probably going to come on to the topic of, of families. My siblings... I share the same surname as one of my siblings. So this idea that, you know, it's confusing for kids to not have, and I don't have the same surname as my parents because they're divorced. So they've each gone their own way in terms of surnames. It's not confusing. It doesn't traumatize children. They're fine. <laughs> and then finally, uh, just on the surname. So I, I kept my name. I wouldn't have dreamt of changing it, even though my husband's name is way cooler than mine. The slight issue that we have now is that we are going to start a family and I can't possibly give a child a, you know, triple barrel surname. <laughs> um, and I don't really want to You choose... can start a new trend. Well, yeah, but I just, I mean, mine's bad enough, you know, when I have to put that on forms and things. Um, and my husband's surname is way cooler than mine. Um, and I don't really want to choose between my parents' surnames, you know, and drop one of those and, and keep one. So we still haven't figured it out. I mean, my husband is totally fine with, with the children having my name. Um, and, you know, my view as a general starting position is it should be the woman's name because we do all the work. Um, but that said, his is really cool. So I'm actually leaning towards, uh, yeah, giving the child his surname. But it's still, it's still a, it's still a moot case, but certainly not because it's tradition, because I think it's a disgusting tradition. Okay, that's my that's my thank you for letting me have my soapbox. I'll shut up now and go on mute. So um M has tried for a long time to to teach me the better way when it comes to Miss, Ms. and Mrs. So I still put Miss and on on forms. And I don't really know why. It's interesting. Sorry, can I quickly ask? So, M, were you a Miss MS before you got married? Uh, yes, I've been a Miss since I was, so like MS, since yeah. my teens. I have never voluntarily gone by Miss or Mrs. Wow. Okay. And even yeah. though I didn't take my husband's name, there are a lot of old relatives who still send us letters addressed to Mr. and Mrs., his first name, mm. his surname, which I also think is disgusting. Oh, oh I hate it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So actually, that's something that always pissed me off. And I, without realizing it, pissed me off. But like that, my mum would receive posts to Mrs. J. Lawson. Yeah. Hmm. Like, so she loses both her first name and her surname. Yeah. Right. So I had a wedding invitation sent to me. And if she's listening, she'll know exactly um, who I'm talking about because she texts me being like, you know, what do you think of what did you think about the invitations? Or she made a comment to me about the fact uh, of how I responded to that because it, that was exactly it. You know, it was invited, but she lost both of her names in that instance, and I just felt that was really, you know, weird and absolutely is their choice. And as long as they were happy, that's that's fine. But I did feel a little bit like, what happened to both her names? Like she doesn't <laughs> even get to keep her first name. Like she's lost both. Um, and I think that she knew I would react that way because she definitely made a comment about it either in a message or like the next time we saw each other. So. Um, it is the interesting thing that I think I've now started to see it. I don't know if it's because I've been talking to you a lot more. I've, I've you know, had 10 years exposure um, 
to what being a feminist is all about and kind of, you know, taking ownership back over our identities and what we, you know, we're allowed to hold on to who we are and And that's what your partner should surely want because that's what they love about you. Unless your partner is looking for just some meek little, you know, uh, no identity wifey, you know, in which case who would want that man? (laughs) That's the other thing I struggle. (laughs) And of course, you know, I say that, but actually, you know, a shockingly high proportion of men today still want their um, want women to take their names and it's a really important thing to a man even though a lot of them can't articulate why um, which I think is really disturbing uh, but that's I know that's and, and and I'm not being nearly as nice as Ali about this <laughs> she can tell yeah. I think there's a right and a wrong way and I'm just going to tell you what I think absolutely but like so I what I find really interesting it's not necessarily the choices that I've made so I'm, I'm choosing to keep my surname and again that's already um, rumbled a few few cages as it were but um what i find super interesting is how people ask me about it so it's often a case of you know they find out we're we're engaged so they're like oh you know you're getting married will you be taking joe's surname and for me what that suggests is there's a choice for me to say yes or no and then actually when i say no i'm very quickly jumped on right so there there was never a choice there was always like an expectation i go one way and what what do people say what do they jump on you with so the the best example I have, and again, like I believe this is like a knee jerk reaction, and you know I, I never took offence to it, and I still don't take offence to it. Um, but the the best one that stands out for me is one person said to me like, "Well, what's the point of even getting married? If you're not going to take surname, what's the point?" And to which I replied in that instant, you know, so are you telling me the only reason you married your husband was for his surname? <laughs> and obviously that they said they said no, and I said right, so surely I can love this person unconditionally without taking their name or without losing mine and I just feel that it's really funny the framing of that question and then also um I think you just touched on it there that a lot of men don't feel they have to give it up and I think it's because for so long they've been told that they are the status quo and that's the way forward and the a few comments that I've had recently is that if Joe and I don't end up with the same surname that's my fault that's because I'm being stubborn I'm refusing to move from from you know my side and actually I find it really interesting it's like no Joe's also not moving from his side we're not meeting in the middle um but I still very much think it's as an assumption that it's the woman who has to make that first move or certainly the, the whole move and I think that comes from a place of men being told that they are the status quo and they're not disrupting what should be but women are yeah um I, and that was something that yeah. on that note I remember quite a few years ago now reading a really insipid article by Victoria Corin Mitchell about justifying how she had taken David Mitchell's surname. But, you know, she says something like, oh, but, you know, my husband is very traditional, so don't even dream of, you know, asking him to take mine, as if that's that's it. Well, then that's it then. Then what? what? I just, you know, and I find that kind of even more offensive where women, you know, they, I don't know, they keep their name and take the husband's, but then he doesn't even reciprocate. This is a really interesting point that both Em and Ellie just touched on, although I'm not sure she meant to because she kind of said colloquially, you know, he's not even willing to meet me in the middle. So is our outrage that we lose our identity because we take our husband's names and so we become Mrs. John Smith? Or is it that there's not even any consideration as to whether they might take our surname? Like, what is what is the issue? Because if he if the husband took the woman's surname, is that him losing his identity? Or are we saying that it, we just like we just like intermediates in the middle in, the, in terms of having a conversation? No, that's. No, that's exactly it. I think that's so. The thing, so Emma and I know, some, know a couple of people, I think, who um, 
it was always going to be a thing that they were going to take their husband's names. And when they said, like, I don't want to lose my name. And, uh, and but the argument was, well, we want to be a unit. And we said, well, take he should take your name. It's like, oh, well, that wasn't a consideration. Yeah. And when you say that to two men, I've had I've had an experience, you know, saying that to to a, a man who's like, oh, but, you know, we I, I want us to be. A, a single unit and I said then why don't you if that's what it's about why don't you take her name and it's just the kind of almost shock and disgust you know <laughs> at the suggestion you know it's like it, it it's like you've said something profane yeah it's the outrage isn't it so getting married this year I obviously gave this a lot of consideration a lot of thought and whilst I'm not against taking Joe's name it's a great surname I think I'm in a quite a unique position where Joe's surname is a particularly common surname, whereas mine's quite unique. And actually, Joe's family, that there's there's millions of them and it's a beautiful big family, but that name's gonna live on forever. Whereas I've got the opposite problem where actually uh, my uncle didn't have children, my dad's had three girls and, and a boy. So actually we're kind of coming to the end of our family tree and my name means something to me and I want to hold on to that heritage. And yes, whilst my brother can take on that responsibility on his own, we're at a point of history where I can also do that for myself. And I just find it, I spoke to Joe quite openly about this. It was a very much an equal dialogue between the two of us about how we were feeling and kind of what we wanted to carry forward. And again, the idea of the unity or creating a family name did come up. But for me, it was the only argument Joe could come up with that was something that I can say was tradition. And unfortunately for me, tradition just wasn't a strong enough argument. To quote Tim Mitchin on tradition, I don't believe that just because ideas are tenacious, it means that they're worthy. Most traditions <gasps> are disgusting. Most traditions are yeah. horrible. Slavery was a tradition. Ownership of women, that's what we're talking about here, was a tradition. Yeah. Most traditions have been shit for women, homosexuals, people of color. The only people they've served are white men. Or, or men in whatever society you're in. Yeah, I feel like everything that this podcast stands for is kind of the idea that just because that's the way it's always been done doesn't mean that's how it should continue. And, and that's that's kind of what we're always talking about in every episode. Um, but I wanted to float an idea. Um, oh. And I, so I was obviously very fervently against getting married earlier and I am fervently against kind of the idea that we've been talking so far about someone just uh, kind of by default taking their husband's surname but so I will get hitched at some point civil partnership not married um to my fella um but I have advocated quite strongly for us um having like a new surname mm. So he was, um, his mother passed away when he was very young and he was pretty much raised by his grandparents. He had two daughters. Um, so obviously, so their family name in that generation didn't carry on. Um, but my fella's got a brother who has got married and has, has, the whole family has taken the surname. So my idea was to take his grandparents' surname, which has not carried on through the through any females because they've only had daughters, um, and to take that as a bit of a mark of respect, kind of on account of them being just part of their family and part of because you because I feel like we make our own family. I know family is blood and everything, but I've spoken to this about uh, to Ellie a lot about how I feel like when you get a little bit older, you kind of make your own family out of people that you love very much as opposed to people who are blood relatives. So I just thought, how do you guys feel about and, and that would be, for me, the true middle ground in that you both create something new for yourselves that you do share and 
double plus points, you get to go together through passport control. Oh my God, it's so much quicker. <laughs> yeah. I, can I just jump in here? So um, I actually offered Joe, so his mum's uh, name is Potter, which I think is an equally awesome name. And my yeah. mum's surname is, Haw- is Hawks. So, you know, we've got options. Um, Joe's got out of it that he wants to stick with his name, which is fine. I'll just stick with mine. But one thing you just pointed out, and I would just like to make this very, very clear to all listeners, please stop asking couples who are about to get married when they're going to start their family by them coming <laughs> together as a pair. That is the start of a family. They do not need children to extend that. Then just the two of them, that is family. And as anne said as well, that can also extend to friends and the people who surround you, that can be your family. So please stop putting pressure on people that they have to have little versions of themselves running around um, for them to be able to consider themselves a family. And I feel like I do feel quite strongly about that. Um, I have no examples of who that's come from, but that's definitely been a comment made to me a few times. And um, I don't know. I love Joe. Joe is my family. That's it. That's that. I don't need any more from Joe. I'm not marrying Joe for children. Uh, excuse me. You are also invited. We know this is going to like if if you and I are on our own at any point, we're buying a house together. We're living together. What I mean, I, the yeah. the three of us are your sisters as well. Yeah, um, there you go. Yeah, I mean, Ali, I completely agree that uh, the assumption that you're going to have kids is um, completely inappropriate. Uh, I think like 40% of women of childbearing age now do not have children. Um, and Anne-Marie, I oh. think that that's great, uh, you know, choosing a whole new name together. Um, my auntie and uncle, they just went to the phone book and, you know, closed their eyes and opened it on a random page. And that's how they chose their oh, surname. I love it. Yeah. And we that's actually, great. we have talked about, and especially now that we've got a baby on the way, we have talked about, uh, you know, doing a name splice because that's quite a there's, there's quite a cool one that we used um, for the hashtag for our our wedding. Um, but uh, for me, it partly it's that you know I just don't I don't even know which country I'd actually do the deed poll in <laughs> because you know we live we live here in Denmark. There's the UK, there's Australia, there's New Zealand, and then it's actually just the admin of it. And because the stupid thing is. Today, you know, in places like the UK and and Australia, if women want to take their husband's names, there is a very easy, quick mechanism to do that. If you want to do any, if a, if a man wants to take his wife's name, there's no equivalent easy mechanism. And if you want to change your name to anything other than your husband's name, you have to go through the whole much more onerous deed poll process. And then you've got to change, you know, all your documents. And I'd have to change like my apartment, you know, I'd have to change my name on the title. So. I'm all for it. It's just the admin that I just think, oh, God, too much effort. But women are great admin, right? So that's why it always falls to us to uh, pick up the slack. (laughs) Well, maybe we're great at admin because it always falls to us to do the admin. Yeah, 100%. This is what I literally said. A guy came to me at work and said, oh, women are just better at admin. It's like, no, you've been told your whole life that you can get away with not being good at admin. There's a difference. I've had to get good at it. Exactly. Whereas you've been given every excuse not to be good at it well we need to recruit some males who are outraged that it's not as easy for them as it is for us to change their maiden names you know Amory said something far more uh eloquent and reasonable than i was gonna say i was gonna say i choose not to do ironing well so someone else will do it for me i have a horrible admission i hate ironing as well to the extent where when i'm in london I make a point of going to the gym in the morning because there's someone there that does the iron that will iron your shirts for you while you're doing a workout. And then, so, and that's my motivation to go to the gym. So I don't have to do the ironing. Oh my God, Anne-Marie. That's fantastic. 
works for everyone. Yeah. I'm conscious of how it sounds. I, I should say <laughs> I was a, like the reason I'm telling everyone is because I could not believe it when I turned up there the first time. And I was so nervous that I stood there for about two minutes when I gave her my shirt to be like, is this is this OK? I, I feel awkward. Should I do it? Do you want to watch me do it? I, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> All right. Number two. So uh, I'm actually doing this at my wedding because I'm choosing to ignore tradition and the fact that I have a and instead just I'm focused on that. I have a really close relationship with my dad and I want to share this this moment with him. But for those that are interested, uh, being given away or walk down the aisle traditionally dates back to the time of arranged marriages and the a time that an unmarried girl was the property of her father when a match was agreed between the elders and when the groom and or his family agreed to take on the ownership of his new bride, they would also agree with her father the payment of a dowry. Now, this would often be food, animals, financial compensation, reward, etc. Uh, to ensure he was given his just rewards, the proud father would escort his daughter to her new husband, take his goods in exchange, and the deal was done, the contract complete. Now, fortunately, this tradition has evolved into a more symbolic act, which is why I feel comfortable keeping it in. However, I have said to my dad not to ask Joe for 10 camels uh, when we reach the end of the aisle, um, <laughs> just to reiterate the, the importance. Uh, well, can I just quickly say that we walked ourselves down the aisle together? And I love that. I love oh, that. I love it was that. so beautiful. And it's actually the first time I've ever seen that. Um, yeah. The first time I've ever seen anyone... Unless a dad isn't in the picture for whatever reason, it's the only time I've ever seen anyone. No, my dad's alive. I just <laughs> and, and he was there. <laughs> it's just uh, I I don't like the tradition. I don't like being given away. Is your would you say that your dad is traditional though? And if so, how did he react when you? Because I'm going to have to break the news to my dad at some point that if I well I didn't have after a we conversation with him. To be honest, Anne Marie, I just oh, wow. it, never, it never I never raised it. And if he had assumed that that's what he'd be doing, then then I guess he came to realise at some point that he wouldn't be. I also didn't get him to do a speech. I got my sister to do a speech. Oh, but see, I love that. Yeah, but our philosophy going in was that we weren't going to. You know, I, we were sort of very. Uh, you know, are we going to get married or not? And we'd been together for 10 years, you know, kind of similar, Anne-Marie, possibly to to where you're at in, yeah, in your on. thinking. Yeah, yeah. And then mm -hmm. we just decided, you know what, we want to have a big party because half our friends live in the Southern Hemisphere. Half our friends live in the Northern Hemisphere. We're never going to be able to get them all together unless we get married. That's our excuse. And so then I was like, but, you know, one of the reasons I don't want to get married is because of all these disgusting, to me, traditions. And so we just, we were just ruthless in not inviting anyone out of obligation, not doing a single thing that wasn't how we wanted to do it. Um, and as a result, you know, we had an amazing, if completely non-traditional day. As a result, so... Ellie and I would have never met had your wedding not happened. Your wedding is perhaps the best wedding that oh, we've ever that's been very to. Sweet. Number three, engagement rings. Um, so Charol Cannon might have convinced us that diamonds are a girl's best friend in the 1949 Broadway gentlemen prefer blondes. But the truth is the original engagement didn't have diamonds at all. And it certainly wasn't romantic. In fact, engagement rings originated in Rome as a sign of ownership. The band symbolized a business contract or to affirm a mutual love and obedience. Tradition generally holds that if the betrothed uh, fails because of the, sorry, the betrothal 
fails because the man himself breaks off the engagement. The woman is not obliged to return the ring. This reflects the ring's role as a form of compensation for the woman's damaged reputation. Now, in the United States, until the Great Depression, a man who broke off a marriage engagement could be sued for breach of promise since they were the ones making the promises, right? Women weren't allowed to propose at the time. Monetary damages included actual expenses incurred in preparing for the wedding, plus damages for emotional distress and loss of any other marriage prospects. Now, damages were greatly increased if the woman had engaged in sexual intercourse with her fiancé. Whilst these laws were limited from 1935, the social and financial cost of a broken engagement was no less since marriage was the only financially sound option for most women. And if she was no longer a virgin, her prospects for a suitable future marriage were greatly decreased. Now, when I first did my research um, to a um, to someone close to me, I was accused of sucking the romance out of engagements. But I'd argue there was not much engagement, like <laughs> romance to begin with. And actually, the lovey-dovey sentiment around rings today is just a byproduct of really good marketing. So I, I, I need notebook next to me because I've got like five things to comment on. So first up, the contract side of things. So I have a really, truly unromantic thing around contracts. So I used to be an insolvency examiner. Um, where you interview people who've gone bankrupt. Um, and someone had proposed to his girlfriend, um, had given her a ring, and then went bankrupt. And so she had her ring taken away from her because it's not her ring until she gets married. And the contract, the consideration has been given. The consideration is the marriage. And therefore, it's not hers yet. The contract has not yet been fulfilled. Oh, surely that ring is a gift. What if you view the What if you view the ring as the consideration for her putting out? Well, if so, I'd have like fifty rings. (laughs) 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 So yeah, so in law, if you have proposed, the consideration is the actual marriage, and so until the marriage has happened, the ring is not yours. And so this woman had her ring taken away from her because her her fiancé went bankrupt. And then to make it worse, the uh, agent told her that the ring was fake. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, if anything, if anything, I'd have thought that would make it better. You know, if, if my boy, if my fiancé had gone bankrupt and then someone was like, but don't worry, the ring was a fake, I'd be like, thank, thank God he was so far from the person I thought he was. But also, it does, I, I get like, whilst, again, it sucks out the romance, I completely understand why law would put that in place because otherwise you would just go buy a half million pound ring, put it on a girl, and then, hey, presto. Hold on, hold on. So which which is this romance that we're sucking out? Because the romance for me for the engagement is the proposal. And the ring is a kind of byproduct, which is beautiful. But I mean, for those people who've been proposed to, or those people who are envisaging it, which which bit is the romantic bit? Surely it's the proposal. Do you want Do you want any of that bullshit though? Like, is it romantic? No. And it's only since the 1950s that it ever became romantic. So the proposal became a thing because back in the day, the proposal wasn't a proposal. It was a suggestion of a contract to marry off one of your daughters which which diamond company and i can't remember which diamond company it was but there's a diamond company that was like diamonds are the thing that makes proposals a thing and that was that was what happened in the 50s yeah as i said the romance comes from really good marketing it's like the band itself is known is that's a contractual 
thing. Although apparently now in litigation, it's it's not as contractual as we all thought. Um, but yeah, for for a long time there was no remnants. It was literally it's here's a here's a bit of gold. Gold was often used uh, back in back in the day. Um, so if the bloke ran out on the woman, she had something yeah. to sell. So that she could compensate herself. She was ruined, as you said. She's a ruined woman. But she was um, ruined. It yeah. may not come as any surprise to anyone that there was no proposal in either direction in our relationship. And I do not have an engagement ring. Uh, we decided, as two consenting adults who love each other, that we were going to get married. Um, and so that's that's what happened. But what was really funny was I think we sort of told we send a like a you know an email blast out to our group of friends saying hey we've decided to get married you know can hold this date next year then we had a Christmas party remember Rihanna <laughs> and a number of our friends including one who you know she I think would generally think of herself as a very progressive woman but one of our male friends and one of our female friends could not get their head around the fact that we weren't engaged but we were getting married to the extent that she said okay well then this this party is your engagement party and I was like if you need that you can have that you know and and this, this male friend had taken Rihanna aside and was like but but I but I don't understand where's where's the engagement ring he's like but how can they be getting married if they're not engaged I don't know, Rihanna. If he, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he messaged. He messaged me and said, "I didn't know that that M and her partner are engaged." And I was like, "You know them, right?" So, so I would like to also, on a side note, be thoroughly hypocritical that I am a huge magpie, and so if anyone <laughs> wanted to give me an enormous ring, I will take it. Anyone. <laughs> anyone Amory, if you want to give me an enormous ring i will take it from you oh it's already in the post to, to <laughs> mrs Marie o'neill i um i love <laughs> big rings but a, 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 any any ring i will accept other than an engagement ring yeah and that's fair and the thing is it's like um so my my previous partner and I had agreed that at some point we might get married. But I think, like, I, I think actually this is a um, uh, little bit of, like, it seeped into my psyche. We'd kind of agreed we wouldn't have an engagement ring because it's a bit dumb. Like, we were grown-ups and we just get married um, and I don't want the big, like, oh, God, the worst thing I can imagine is, like, someone proposing to me in a public place. It's just horrific. The whole idea but then, of it. But then that's that's the person who loves you. So two things. Firstly, the proposal is that's on that's the onus of the person who loves you to know that that and this is gender neutral the person who loves you should know that if they're going to propose to you, they need to do it in a place that you would be comfortable with. So maybe it would be you guys like chilling out on a sofa and watching some TV because you want the person who loves you to love you even when you're in your tracky bottoms or your PJs watching, you know, watching Destination. Yeah, yeah. And then go, I love you, marry me. And that would be your thing. And, you know, equally, Ellie, like I know that the, the thing I should have like the thing to ask you when you told me that you got engaged is let me see the ring because there would have been a ring and it would have been somewhere beautiful and somewhere secluded and Joe would have done it classily and like I, because I know that and not because 
you know, I don't find it any less beautiful because it's not what I would want. So everyone has their own special thing and it's up to your partner. Like you were saying in the previous episode about like the lingerie and the gifts, it, you know, your partner will make it beautiful for you. And if it's not divorce. <laughs> but I, so I do wear a ring. Uh, Joe got me a very beautiful engagement ring and I love wearing it. Um, but it is something interesting that you just said, Amory, there, and it came back to something that M said about being called a missus. And an engagement ring is presenting to the world that your status has changed in a certain way, right? And what's interesting, what Amory just said, is this um, people knee jerk reaction of, oh, let me see the ring, or let me see some sort of evidence that this has happened. And I think a lot of people, Joe and I got was, oh, we didn't see it on Facebook that you were engaged. And it's like, well, we don't have to announce it to the world. That, that's kind of our news. And I think a lot of people get their nose put out when they don't hear the news. I mean, it's just really interesting. Yeah, what you just said there, actually, that there's this expectation from society that we deserve to know when people are engaged mm-hmm. or when they get married. Or And I, and I don't know if this is going to be one of the points that you come on to, Ellie, but that expectation that kind of that entitlement also comes with the invitation to the wedding. Oh, my God. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've heard that a few times as well. <laughs> right. Number four, um, who plans the wedding, right? So traditionally, the bride's parents would pay for the wedding. So there would be an expectation that they would have a hand in the organization and guest list. Now, I think my parents had a small heart attack when they had three girls. So if there was ever a reason to ditch this tradition, it is to spare the hearts of our parents. Um, Today's parents cover around two thirds of the cost of the wedding and each side of the family pick up different parts of the tab. So for brides, it might be paying for the dress, grooms, it might be paying for a rehearsal dinner so on and so forth. Uh, Joe and I have actually pay, decided to pay for the whole wedding ourselves. Um, and we wanted the flexibility. And since it was our choice to get married, we didn't want to put the onus on our families to foot the bill. Whilst this was the right decision for us, um, what I hadn't quite appreciated, and I think I have a better understanding of now, is the effect this decision might have had on those around me, most importantly, my mum. Like many of her generation, my mum and my dad's wedding was heavily organised by their parents. And so on the day, they had a room full of people they didn't really know. And my poor mum even had someone come up to her and ask her where the bride was. And she was obviously (laughs) in her bridal dress, um, which is heartbreaking, right? Now, Joe and I were excited. um, So we started looking for venues. And when I told my mum that we had found a place, her reaction to me was, oh, I I thought we were going to go look at venues together. And it was at that moment that I realised that my mum had been waiting pretty much her whole life to plan a wedding since her own wedding was taken out of her hands right and so whilst I cracked on with Joe and that was 100% the right thing and there is no right or wrong here I really did have to stop and go wow you know my mum didn't get to plan hers and she's got three daughters and the first daughter's come along and it's just cracked on without her and I can imagine actually how that feels um from her point of view I can I know I completely understand the empathy like and I I get it I I completely get it but having your mum having never got to plan her own wedding, why would she want to take it out of your hands? Because all she's doing is is it's a knock-on effect. I completely um, agree with Rhiannon and I second her sassy clap. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, you know, my mum has been nothing but supportive and she has, oh, bless her. I can see like she's fidgeting and she really wants to get involved, but she has really respected Joe and I and, and kind of taken that step back and has only ever got involved when we've asked for an opinion or, um, you know, some help. But I can see her, you know, her eagerness to get involved. And it is, as you said, the, the knock-on effect. And I think we're living in an age now where it's starting to change. Like more women are holding on to their names. More couples are paying for their own wedding. Church weddings are at the lowest they've ever been. Only one in four now take place in a religious um, place of worship. 
Um, so I think change is happening. Unfortunately, my mum got caught in the middle of that. Yeah, I wish she didn't get to, uh, as you say, plan her own or even choose her guests. Um, well, again, I'm sure it comes as no surprise. Uh, our parents didn't pay for ours. Um, my husband's parents gave all their children a similar, you know, contribution. Um, I think it was a few thousand pounds. Um, and my father had given my brother and my sister a few thousand dollars each. He hasn't actually given me any, but he's promised it. Um, but uh, we, you know, other than that, we, um, you know, I mean, so I would say we probably, that probably covered, I don't know, maybe 20% actually. Our wedding wasn't that expensive. Um, but uh, yeah, we we planned it all ourselves. Of, of those who have been engaged, just a quick survey who who asked for permission from the dad well from any parent i'm not, I'm not being sexist here really uh joe asked permission <laughs> from my dad to uh, um, propose to me not your mom not my mom no are your parents and together uh, no no they're divorced which it also comes back to the surname thing because both joe's mom and my mom have both kept their marital name which i find interesting um I'm sure it's a lot of admin to go back to a name, but it's... It's also shameful in their generation to revert to your maiden name. Yeah, and it's, you know, they're now known, you know, they've been that name yeah. now for so many years, but, um, yeah, no, my, Joe did ask. So I was, it's kind of a follow-on, two quick questions. Would you have been upset if Joe hadn't asked your dad or, or mum? And secondly, would one of your parents, specifically your dad, have been upset if he wasn't asked? Excellent questions as always, Amory. Um Let's start with myself. So, no, I didn't expect Joe or, in fact, want Joe to go ask permission from my dad. Um, most importantly, because I'm an independent woman and I can make my own choices. And that extends to yeah. saying yes or no to somebody who's very kindly offered their hand to me. Mm-hmm. So with Joe asking my dad. Yeah, but hang on. But hang on. Does he not care what you think? Like, I'm not a piece of property. I'm not a piece of meat to be traded. I mean, if my husband had dared to ask my father, he would have got a bitch slap. <laughs> Absolutely. And the reason Joe wasn't bitch slapped is because I don't think for a second that conversation started with, hi, Mr. Ellie, you know, um, you are the current owner of of said woman, please may I take her hand and, you know, pay you £100 um, for her to become my property. I don't think that conversation ever happened. I think what it was more of the reason why it was important to Joe, again, I can't speak on his behalf, but just knowing their relationship and knowing my relationship with my dad, I feel that that for Joe would have come from a place of respect for my dad, not because he was, he needed to bypass me to ask my dad before he could ask me, but I just think he wanted to give my dad a heads up that it was happening. And having had conversations with my dad since, he said it was a really lovely phone call to to have received. It was very much Joe just explaining how much he loved me and how much he, you know, he wanted to kind of take this next step with me. And he just wanted to let my dad know that it was about to happen um, and almost, yeah, kind of share that news with him. And I think my dad's reaction was, well, about bloody time. <laughs> and actually, for a lot of people who heard the news about Joe and I getting engaged, that was the uh, number one reaction. Um, it did take 10 years. And that's, you know, and that's fine. But I don't, the reason I'm not insulted by this is because I think Joe did it for his own reasons. And just because I feel something doesn't mean that it negates what Joe's feeling. And actually, my journey is going to be different to Joe's. Um, 
and actually how I feel about things. And we, we definitely spoke about this. And I just I don't think for a second he ignored what I was saying. But I believe that for him, it was still important to have that conversation. Um, and so I think he probably had it, but luckily took out what we're arguing about today, which is the tradition side of it. I think he went with a more modern twist of just he had a really good relationship with my dad. I've got a really good relationship with my dad. And he just wanted to present the the idea um, or not even an idea, present the news to my dad first um, and as far as I'm aware my dad uh, really enjoyed that conversation Joe felt great and I felt equally as good so no no harm done but I do really do understand where people are coming from and as we said throughout this there is no really right or wrong I think asking permission um, today is a little bit old-fashioned because women you are your own people you do not need the uh the green light from a man in your life for you to make choices however in this instance I don't think that's what Joe went to my dad for I think he just went um, as a sign of respect for that relationship so I I have two points that I just want to add before Ellie moves on to her fifth point which I know is imminent and everyone's keen to crack on the first is Ellie already knows my absolute fucking outrage at anyone who has an opinion on what your wedding should look like or be like or proceed like because it's your day and anything that they want their wedding to look like they can do on their special day but it is your day it's it's ellie and joe's day to get married and it's their day and everyone just needs to suck it up and get on with whatever they want it to look like and if they disagree then come it's not a problem it'll be one less seat and one less food place um and then secondly, I just want to give kudos to the people that we disagree with, but that still love us. Um, so we tend to get into a bit, of a, yeah, a bit of an echo chamber in here because we all think, you know, up, up the women, up the feminist and up everyone who believes in the stuff that we believe in. But, you know, people like Joe, who is listening and engaging and loves you very much, Ellie, even though they are still a traditionalist and they might disagree with it and they might want to do other things, they find their avenues that they can get those common grounds on. And I think they play it well and, and they do all the things that are important to us while still staying true to themselves. So kudos to the people who don't subscribe to, to everything that we do, but still love us. Thank you. Beautifully <laughs> <should> said. <laughs> uh, Point five, Ellie. Point five. Uh, so we're going to talk about the bride's bouquet. Okay. Uh, now, whilst it looks very lovely, the bride's bouquet was traditionally meant to mask the bride's odour <laughs> and ward off evil spirits. So it was traditionally made of herbs, spices and uh, garlic cloves. <laughs> I have no idea. There we go. Uh, mine won't have any garlic featured, unfortunately. Um, another tradition is for the bride to throw her bouquet. And this seems to be a popular tradition that has like still exists today. Um, although I can't actually remember the last time I saw it at a wedding. Um, it stems from a French 14th century tradition where the groom would throw the bride's garter into the crowd. Um, but throwing a bouquet quickly emerged as the more civilised alternative. Um, and it is said that whoever catches the bouquet will be next to marry. Now, I decided not to do this at my wedding. Uh, firstly, the cost of flowers is ridiculous. Um, and I would very much like to enjoy my bouquet during the days after the wedding. But most importantly, I really want the women in my life to aim for more. Um, so, yes, getting married is a beautiful thing. And obviously, I am getting married and super excited to marry my best friend. But marrying Joe was never a life goal. And I, when we first met, I specifically said to him, don't ever propose to me because I'll say no. I was 18 and just convinced that marrying anybody meant giving something up. And I just wasn't happy with the idea of not reaching my potential so I could become a wife for someone else. And I know it's a small gesture, but I just want to start moving away from the idea 
that all my female friends have to join in a huddle so they can fight over a bunch of flowers uh, so they can move towards becoming someone's wife. It feels weird. So this has nothing to do with being a wife. This has everything to do with being competitive as fuck. I need that bouquet. Ah, right. Well, you can't have mine. You can no, have no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> if the bouquet is being thrown, it is mine. Oh. I on. don't need the marriage. Like, I don't care what the tradition is, but I'm fucking winning it. <laughs> have you just got some sort of paint from nowhere and just All put of a little sudden, like war paint? Yeah, and, war paint. yeah. <laughs> I have genuinely taken someone out to get that bouquet before. <laughs> Was it made of garlic and herbs? Was that what you were after? If it no, it wasn't. Um, but no, I'm with you. I I think it's all utter nonsense. Um, and and the grossness of the garter thing. I've seen oh, both done where they like take the garter off with their teeth and then throw it. Like oh fuck me, that's disgusting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean the whole thing like it's just grim. Um, but people will say oh but just do it because it's just a bit of fun but for me I'm so sorry it just it's so seeped in the sexism and misogyny and it's just for me a horrible tradition that I'm just like you know what I just don't want I don't want to put myself through it I want to keep on my bouquet and you're throwing about 250 quid behind you also that (laughs) (laughs) I love the practical approach (laughs) I swear like I'll throw confetti throw confetti If you are still listening, we are aware that we have grossly rattled on today. Yeah. However, I'd like to point out that Rhiannon did promise you that we'd try and get better at timekeeping, and you shouldn't make promises. I failed. I failed. (laughs) Shall I? I hope you. Shall I cover us off for the end bit? You. You do. Yes. Yes. Please. Yes. Beyond Ferris X is not sponsored. So if you like our show, please show your support by liking, subscribing, and sharing on all your favorite social media platforms. Uh, we have a Twitter at the Unfair Sex. We have Instagram at the Unfair Sex Podcast, and we have an email at the Unfair Sex. Nope. We have an email. <laughs> so close. The Unfair Sex at gmail dot com. Uh, we will continue to look for. Uh, um, I'm sorry. What did you say? Um, so if anyone has any you want to share, uh, either can you send us a voice message to our email or you can write in as well and we will happily read them out. And all of those will be anonymous. Thank you so much for, for listening. Um, we're not yet sure what the next episode will be, but um, it'll be in a few weeks time. So keep your eyes peeled. There we go. Homework. What? Homework? What's get married and be happy no, no, no don't, don't get do married <laughs> ignore that Wait, sorry Scrap can that. i just counter that with what my criminal law lecturer said to us which was he said girl never get married they'll beat you they'll rape you they'll kill you the the day you get married your chances of being murdered go up eightfold okay so i think i work grab <laughs> a glass of wine that's the end grab a glass of wine yeah to have a great week i guess whatever you decide to do just just make it your special day yes there we go adios amigos have a great week bye